The reading today is from Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. This is the gospel of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we um, spend time together this morning, we're aware that it's Advent, it's nearly Christmas, and uh, that's a stressful time for a lot of people. And uh, there may well be some here this morning for whom this is a a difficult time. And again this morning we particularly remember the Webley family and ask that you would strengthen and sustain them, that they would know your love. But for all that uh, are finding things particularly difficult at this time of the year, uh, I pray that you may minister amongst them by your spirit. And minister amongst us too, so that as we look at uh, Jesus, as we cast our eyes upon him and look upon him and see the significance of him, that it would help put everything else in perspective in this world. So please be with us and help us in our thinking and understanding this morning, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I just prayed, we are building up to Christmas, and so we've left behind uh, the book of Acts, which we'd spent a bit of time in recently, where the book of Acts is that period of time in history where Jesus had lived his life, he died on the cross, he'd risen from the dead, and then he descended to be back with his father, and it was now the time as the disciples, the apostles, were taking the good news of Jesus out, and we're going right back to before Jesus was born, as we build up to Christmas. But we're still with the same author, we're still dealing with Luke, because we're from Luke's gospel, who also wrote uh, Acts. And uh, although I just said before, and Andrew said it earlier on, this is called Advent, the season's called Advent, most of us know it's uh, by its more well-known name, the silly season. That's what this is. This is the time of the year when people feel frantic because of work deadlines before the end of the year, because there's present shopping still has to happen, because there's last-minute plans that have to be done or holiday preparations, or we find out that certain family members have menu complications. Uh, There's a lot of things on our mind. For some of us, it's more serious than that. 
It's that time of the year where we miss particular people all the more and where that is, there's a heaviness on our hearts that uh, isn't absent at other times but is felt even more keenly at this particular time. And so with that in mind, I just want to remind us of the importance of this time of the year, why it's important, and challenge us with that this morning. And so I've only got three things that I want to, uh, to say, and they're pretty simple. We're going to look at a great sign, a great king, and a great response. That's it. But it's good. A great sign, a great king, a great response. Firstly, a great sign. Our reading this morning, the one that Anne just gave to us, is one of the reasons that people have a real problem with Christianity. A lot of people, when they think about Christianity, don't have too big a problem with Jesus. It's not Jesus that gets them. Jesus remains, on the whole, a pretty popular figure, at least what people think Jesus is like. I think when they investigate him a bit more, they're challenged a lot more. But people like men of peace, people like wise men who say good things and interesting things, people like men that um, uh, do actions that have a cost for themselves, for the good of others, and so a lot of people are fairly positive towards Jesus. But our reading this morning for many people immediately raises red flags, danger, because it started talking about virgins giving birth. It started talking about angels coming down and talking to people. And you can't get away from that in this reading. Those two aspects are a major part of the reading that Anne just brought us. The fact that Mary is a virgin is mentioned repeatedly through those verses. You can see it twice in verse 27. Mary brings it up again in verse 34 when she says, but I'm a virgin. And then the words of the angel take up over half the verses. So you can't get away from these aspects even if they make you feel uncomfortable. And so for a lot of people they say, well, this is story time. This is once upon a time kind of thing. Are we in Narnia with talking animals or Lord of the Rings with dwarfs and elves? How can you possibly believe this kind of thing? It sounds like fantasy. sounds like made-up stories. These things don't happen on a regular basis. We don't see them around us. And so for many people, this is fiction, this is fancy, this is myth. Therefore, you cannot believe it. And sadly, today, you sometimes even hear this kind of talk in churches. And even sometimes from the front of churches, you get some church leaders denying the virgin birth or the reality of angels. But I want to tell you this morning that these things can, and they did, happen. And Luke, who's the author of this biography of Jesus, wants us to be sure of it. We didn't look at the first few words in Luke's gospel, but if you start off by reading those first few words, Luke says that he carefully investigated everything that he's about to write. He used eyewitness testimony. He wanted people to know and have confidence in the things that he's going to write about. But surely people today would say, well, you can't believe these parts. They are unbelievable, supernatural. But friends, for Christians, our belief is found in verse 37 in this uh, reading, where the angel said, for nothing is impossible with God. And I want you to think about that for a moment and just be challenged by it. Because if you believe in a God who is the creator, who's made the mountains and the oceans, who's made every cell in your being and breathed life into this world, who's created the universe and holds things in the palm of his hand, The idea of a virgin birth and him having angels is not that big a deal. And the Christian claim is not that these things happen all the time. Not at all. No, nothing is impossible with God, so he can do them, but he doesn't normally. But that's the whole point. They are a sign. 
pointing to the significance of the event that's about to happen. The things like the virgin birth, the things like the angels coming down and proclaiming it, the things not from our reading but the other gospels with stars moving across the sky were all there to show the significance and importance of what was about to happen. See the sign and realize it's big. The birth of this child was going to be the most important thing in the history of the world up to this point. You would expect to see some signs, some notices, some adverts showing that it's going to happen. It makes sense that an event of this magnitude was signposted by special happenings. Uh, We see that in other areas of life, don't you? If you think of um, the opening ceremonies of the Olympics or uh, certain uh, kind of concerts or um, uh, award shows, they're nearly always started by a significant celebrity or an incredible performance because it's showing this is very important that's going to go on. Well, friends, this morning, this is bigger than a celebrity appearance or a song and dance routine. This is a virgin birth. This is angels coming down to to speak to people because this is not just a sporting event that happens every four years or a political uh, rally or an Oscars celebration. This is the birth of God himself in human form. This is God the Son being born in human form. Does it really surprise us For the God for whom nothing is impossible, he did something out of the ordinary to signpost it, to mark it. So that's what was going on. So firstly, a great sign. Secondly, for a great king. A great king. In verse 26, we see that Luke is still giving us the historical facts. As I said, he's carefully investigated everything. He's a great historian, Luke. And so he roots it in history and in geography. It's the sixth month, and Gabriel is sent by God to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. So this is not once upon a time. This is history and geography. And then in verse 27, we're introduced to Mary, who we're told is engaged to Joseph and is a virgin. The angel greets her, telling her that she's favoured. God's favour is upon her. And Mary, as you might expect, is slightly unsettled by all this. So Gabriel speaks to her in verse 30 to calm her down and let her know what's going on. Verse 30... But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. The angel effectively says, Mary, you're going to have a son, and that son is going to be the man. That's what he says. Now Mary would have known straight away that the angel was talking about the Messiah or the Christ. A Messiah and Christ are the same word, just different languages. And they're not a name, they're a title. And the title means God's anointed king. And the Jews had for many, many years been waiting for a promised Messiah. The one that God said he would send to rescue his people and rule his people forever. And it said lots of things in the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah, that he would come from David's line, that he would rule forever. Well, bingo, that's exactly what Gabriel has just said to Mary. That's the one you're going to give birth to. Her baby, who she's been told is going to get the name Jesus, will be this figure that everyone's been waiting for, this person long promised. That would be an incredible moment. 
Uh, you can see this kind of thing happen in uh, you know, a lot of movies today, can't you? The one who will come and bring balance to the force. And so you're waiting for Anakin Skywalker. Uh, the, the one who's going to come and end the Matrix. So they're looking for the one. Will it be Neo? Or if you're like me, Kung Fu Panda. They're all waiting for the Dragon Warrior. And they look at him and they go, it can't be him. He looks like Jay, <laughs> big boy. All that. This is bigger. The Jews have been waiting for all this time for the Christ, for the Messiah. And Gabriel says, Mary, you're bringing him. Your baby will be him, the great king. In verse 35, it says even more about this great king to come. It explains a little bit about how he will be born. It doesn't explain all the, all the details, but he will be birthed by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will conceive him. He will be holy, and he will be called Son of God. Do you see the resume of this baby? Do you see why it's signposted by things as incredible as a virgin birth uh, or by angels coming down? Now, we didn't read this this morning, but for those of us who know before in chapter 1, we will know that earlier in chapter 1, another person had been visited by the angel Gabriel to also say that another miraculous birth would take place. The man that was spoken to was who? Zechariah, and he and his wife Elizabeth were an old couple who had no children. And Gabriel had come to Zechariah and said, you will have a baby boy. They're to name the baby John, because he's going to be John the Baptist. And, and Gabriel said, he will, prepare, he will go before the Lord to prepare people for the coming of the Lord. And if you remember, Zechariah uh, responds not the best. He, he lacks faith, and so he's made mute for a time. Well, now we've got Gabriel coming to Mary to do something very similar, but I want you to think about the contrasts. I firmly believe that Luke, as an author, uses contrasts to highlight significant things, to get across things that he thinks is really important and that he wants his readers to pick up on. And contrasts do that. Uh, when you get a contrast, a really stark contrast, it makes something clearer. It makes something more apparent or more powerful. You see it in music a lot, where something goes from... Good luck having any more music today. Uh, <clears throat> uh, you see it in music, where the, the kind of contrast between something going very quiet to then very loud makes something more powerful, or very slow to something very fast does the same kind of thing. The same in art, the kind of contrast of vivid colours. Or, the, um, or, or in comedy, where you've got the straight person as well as the funny person, and that's, that combination is to make the gags even funnier. Well, in chapter 1 of Luke, there's a lot of these key contrasts which are all supposed to show us the importance of one thing. So you've got the contrast I spoke before of, of Luke recording everyday normal facts that we would expect, like the sixth month and Galilee and Bethlehem, right next to radically supernatural elements like virgin births and angels. See the contrast. You've got the contrast between Zechariah and Mary, because one responds to Gabriel's message in unbelief, and the other one with trust. You've got the contrast between John the Baptist, one promised child, and Jesus, the other promised child. Because although there are similarities, like I just mentioned before, there are contrasts. John the Baptist is to be born to elderly, sterile parents. Jesus is born to a young virgin. John, the name, means God is gracious. Jesus, the name given, means God's saviour. 
John is to prepare the way for the Lord. That's his job uh, um, outline. Jesus is the Lord who will have his way prepared. These are all the contrasts you see going on through Luke's first chapter. Deliberate, I'm sure, to highlight the one big point we're not supposed to miss. The one key thing we have to see clearly, that this second baby promised to Mary is the guy that the whole of history has been waiting for. This is the great king. This is the one everyone's been looking forward to. He's the man. This is the most important person ever born. The key arrival in human history. Think for a moment of your family. And I'd like to ask you where you think you rank in terms of importance within your family. I know where I rank. (laughs) Where do you rank? It's a ridiculous question, isn't it? But let's extend it. Let's extend it from the family to your street. Where do you think you rank in terms of importance, in terms of a world scale, where do you rank in terms of your street? Let's not do the street, let's do the country. Let's do the whole of New Zealand. Where do you think out of four million people you rank in terms of importance on the world scale? Actually, let's not do New Zealand. Let's do New Zealand over all of its history, not just now. So the whole of New Zealand, Jesus ranks number one in importance as the most important life ever lived on this planet. And I won't even hear any contesting of that. That's where he is. This is the most important life ever to be born. And that's why these things are being said. Most parents think when their child is born that they've got something special. Gifted is a word I often hear. Uh, Different to all other children born in some certain way. And some parents have the delightful habit of telling everyone how gifted and special their children are. (laughs) For those of you not laughing now, that's because it's you. No, (laughs) you know the kind of thing I'm talking about. George is very gifted. He could talk before he was 16 hours old. He was already talking. And um, I'm sure Mary never did this. But if Mary had been in the playground with the other parents, she could have one-upped any other parent. Yeah, yes, that is little Jesus. Yes, running around there. Yep. Well, we didn't know he was going to come until the angel Gabriel came down to tell us he was going to come. And uh, he's also called the Son of the Most High, although we just normally call him God's Son, God the Son. Uh, and he's been given David's throne, and he will hold on to that throne and be the king of that throne for all of eternity. Uh, yep, that's right. And Mary could have spoken in the, these ways about her child, and never once would it have been a ridiculous claim. Never once would it have been an exaggeration or hyperbole, or a, because she was talking about the great king. She was talking about the one that the whole of history had been waiting for, the one who would come. There is no one more important in history than Jesus. So you've got a great sign pointing for a great king coming. And the only thing left to say is, we need to make a great response to him. I'm going to ask you in a moment how you treat him in your life. But before I do that, I want you to see an example of a great response. Because you see one here in Mary. Mary actually gives two responses. I like both of them. In verse 34, she says, so the angel's already spoken and said that you're going to have this incredible... She says, how will this be, Mary asks the angel, verse 34, since I'm a virgin? Now, what do you make of that response? She's just been told she will have the baby that everyone's been waiting over a thousand years for, the Christ, the Son of the Most High, the one whose kingdom and rule will never end. And what does she say? How will that be, since I'm a virgin? I think it's a brilliant response because she doesn't seem to doubt the news. She doesn't seem to go, what are you talking about? She doesn't say, "Uh, I think you've got the wrong address. You probably want one down or anything like that. 
No, she takes it all in her stride. She, she takes it, I, t- I take it, she believes. All she's confused about is how it will happen. How is she going to have a baby because she's a virgin? I think that's the difference between her and Zechariah. He seems to doubt the whole thing, not just the method. And so the angel goes on to explain in verse 35 with a bit more. And after that explanation, Mary gives her full real response. And can you think of a better one? Have a look at one of the best replies you'll see anywhere in the scriptures. Think about all that she's heard. Think about how unbelievable that would be to hear. And then look at verse 38 and she says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you've said. It's just a superb response. I am the Lord's servant. And she trusts the Lord. That's what she does. You and I are never going to get this message from Gabriel. I'm pretty confident saying that. I don't think anyone in this room is going to have Gabriel come down and say, you're about to give birth to, because it's already happened. It was a oncer. But you and I will be faced with circumstances in life when the attitude and response of Mary is exactly what we want to demonstrate in our hearts, in our actions, and in our lives. I am the Lord's servant, and then trust the Lord. Mary couldn't have understood everything that the angel said at this moment in time. She couldn't have understood all the complexities and the depth of it. She couldn't have understood the pain that it would bring. Because many years later, she would see her son die on the cross. She couldn't have understood everything, but she was prepared to say, I am the Lord's servant, and trust the Lord in the face of the circumstances that were there. Will you and I? And that's easy in the good times, easy when it's light and things are simple. It's much harder in the difficult times to keep trusting in the Lord. I'm the Lord's servant. I don't know what you're doing, but I'll keep trusting you. That's the example of Mary. And so as I close this morning, can I prod you as to where you stand with this king? Have you really considered him or his kingdom? Or do you kind of think about him sometimes but get caught up with the busyness of this life? Do you see how important he is? You can't muck around with this person. Why would you want to? Or do you keep him at arm's length? Perhaps keep him as the baby in the manger and not allow him to grow up and see the king and the demands he has on your life. It's always possible to play the Christian game. You know, occasionally go to a Sunday service, sometimes mix with Christian people, sometimes join in Christian songs, but in the end, live for self. But friends, when it comes to him, only a, a personal submission to this king is what's required. You need to meet him and to know him and to trust him and to bow the knee before him, not just vague admiration. He's the king that rules, not just a genie that we invoke when we've got difficult times. It's very hard to trust the Lord in the difficulty of life, but he's worth it. And if your trust is in him, it is very well placed. Mary trusted. Will you and I? There is a lot to live for in this world. We can live for love or career or relationships or pleasure. In the end, most of us live for self, but they all inevitably change, decay or die. We've been reminded of that here in the most powerful way that can happen in the last couple of weeks. And in the face of that reality, we waste so much energy and time and money and worry on things of such little importance. When you know who the king is and what he's done, That's what you want to invest your time and your life in. 
Do you see that Luke's letting us know right at the beginning of chapter 1 and Christmas is a good time to reorient ourselves and remind ourselves of this truth? There's a great sign pointing to a great king, and that great king demands a great response. Christmas is a wonderful time of the year to remember Jesus. I pray that you'll bring lots of guests to the next two services because they're both carol services. It's great to bring people to. But we don't just want to leave him as the baby in the manger. See him for who he is, what he's done, and let's trust him. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for uh, just the reminder of who it is that we call Lord, who it is that is our King and our Saviour and our friend. What a privilege. And I pray that more and more you would help each of us individually and our church family collectively to put following him number one in our lives. Help us have the same wonderful attitude as Mary. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.